0: back, Matchroom Radio with David Diamante. We are here in Sheffield, England, uh, affectionately known as the Steel City. We've got a big fight card, um, Dalton Smith, Sam O'Maison for the vacant British title. And this week I have a wonderful guest. I'm really excited to sit down with Jamie Moore, former British Commonwealth European, 154 pound champion, turned uh, great trainer, Jamie Moore. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, sir. Yeah, it's wonderful to see you. You how you too. how you feeling?
1: I'm good, you know, yeah, yeah. It's nice to be in Sheffield again. It's uh, good to be out with Akib. Akib's, uh, he's he has been out for 12 months. He's just had a little warm up fighting a Steve Wood show, but he's been out because um, he boxed in Eddie's back garden last year and uh, unfortunately his mum passed away a couple of days afterwards and obviously he's been through a bit of a you know, real tough time, him and the family. So um, it's nice to see him sort of back in a good place and, and getting out.
0: Yes, absolutely undefeated. Was it eight zero now, right? Eight zero, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's looking good. Uh, part of the stable, which we'll talk about in just a little bit, because you've got a lot of people in the, in that stable right now. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I guess let's just start at the beginning. So, the people don't don't know you you're from Salford, yeah. Salford, yeah, and yeah. some people might think it's Manchester, but please not to get mixed up with Manchester. Don't don't get it mixed up, right? Yeah. What, what why is it Sol- different?
1: Salfordians, we're a, we're a city in our own right. So so we we have this all our lives. He's like. Where are you from, Salford? And you know, if you out of town, everybody always says, "Where's that?" And you say, "Well, you've got to then say it's near Manchester. So sort of part of Manchester, but it's a city in its own right. So um, we've got our own town hall which means we're we're a city."
0: And you're a United fan.
1: Man United, big big Man United fan, yeah
0: very nice very nice and Sheffield we're here I mean first of all I see you all the time we for years like you I feel like you're almost at every show you and you and Nigel I feel feel like every show right I I see you all the time um now also you have a book that just came out called Morsey which is I mean I guess you didn't have a nickname but Jamie Moore Morsey that's kind of your
1: it's just me sort of my general nickname was always used as as my fight nickname um Frank Maloney was my promoter at one point. He, he nicknamed me the fighter's fighter uh, when I was boxing, um, which came from the fact that it actually came from him complaining because the amount of fighters who used to ask him for comps to come ringside and watch me fight. So that's probably the highest compliment you can get in the fact that your peers and the people, you, you know, your, your fellow fighters want to come and sit ringside and watch you fight. So um, so I take that as a compliment, but he, he called me that, and it never really sort of um, stuck as such. But uh, but yeah, he was. Um, I feel quite proud of that nickname. If if if, you fellow fighters, come and watch you fight.
0: Well, I think that nickname actually fits you really well, and the reason I love it be- is because not only were you skilled. But, man, you were aggressive, and you were rarely in a bad fight. In fact, I think, what is it, three fights of the year? I think three fights of the year, yeah. yeah. Unbelievable.
1: I know. I, mean, I think I'm the only one who's ever done that.
0: And Michael Jones, obviously, you had a trilogy. He's a scouser, right? Yeah. You had yeah. a trilogy with him. Um, the third fight, was that the third fight? Third, that the was the third, fight the of the fight, year? The
1: first fight of the year was the third fight with Michael Jones, yeah. Right.
0: Obviously, the fight with Macklin. That if yeah, the fans, yeah, if yeah. you haven't seen that fight, go out and watch it now. Yeah, yeah. It's just a great fight.
1: yeah. A lot of miles on the clock. Uh, yeah, you're right. I think I, I was I was probably more skilled than a than a sort of. You like to mix it up. Used, yeah, exactly. I just like to entertain, and Nigel Ben was my favorite fighter ever. Mm-hmm. So, so I like to I mimicked my style from a young age on Nigel Ben, and um, I just liked involved, being involved in exciting fights. If that if I was training myself, uh, I'd have had about. Five heart attacks because <laughs> because Oliver was constantly trying to get me to box and use me, me me sort of boxing brain more than being aggressive and having a fight, and uh, I didn't really listen that much.
0: I mean, another one of your favorite fighters I've heard, and this makes a lot of sense is Arturo Gatti. Ah,
1: love him, love him. Yeah, amazing fighter. Um, you know, just I always remember watching him. Thinking, I, I think I just turned pro when he was when he was a world champion a, around about super featherweight, and um, just was Ivan Robinson. He was involved in a oh, great fight with, and uh, absolutely to the point where he was near, he was close to tears. He was digging in, he was he was in that much pain, and he was digging in that deep. And I always used to think to myself, I wonder what that feels like. I wonder whether if I'm in that situation ever, I'll be able to drag myself through in that way.
0: And you and, found uh, out,
1: and I did. Found out the hard way a few times, yeah. And um, luckily, for the me, end
0: of that Macklin fight was unbelievable. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, amazing. unbelievable. I, I, and Matt too. You got to give him all the credit I in was the world. i just going to say, I Wa- did that. A- absolute yeah. warrior, which is incredible. You went on to train him, which we'll again talk about in a little bit. But what a great story. And again, with with uh, Gaddy and Ward, you oh, went exactly. on to go train. I
1: think you go through something in a fight like that where. You realise what the other person's been through and what it takes to go through something like that. And you it you creates like a sort of bond where or a respect really where you you didn't have from before, which you can't help but have afterwards. Um, because you realise what they went through and what you went through.
0: Let me ask about this because we were talking about fights of the year. The third one was Ryan Rhodes. Yeah. And he's here this week. He's yeah, uh training yeah. uh, uh Sam O'Maison.
1: He actually brought brought O'Mason down <laughs> to my gym the other week to okay. with Akib. So it was good to see him and uh, yeah I come out second. How you guys best. get on? Yeah, great. I've always got on with Ryan and I was friends with him before that before okay. we even boxed. And um you know, it's great to see him and uh, I came came second best in that one, but you can't win them all.
0: You can't win them all. That's okay. You talked about Oliver a little bit and um I just want to uh, you know touch on Oliver uh, for a couple of reasons. Obviously, he was very important in your life, Oliver Harrison. Yeah. Um and you're now training his son.
1: Yeah. It's um it's a beautiful story, but it's it's a horrible story at the same time. Cancer, you know, yeah. I, uh, yeah. He, he, he died of cancer, and um, you know the impact what Oliver had on my life was in, indescribable. You can't, you can't. I, I, I trained with Oliver for about eighteen months, two years, just solely on our own. There was nobody else in the gym, so the attention I got and the, the lessons I took from him in that space of time was probably worth ten years. Yeah. Because they had his undivided attention, and um, and you know, quiet, humble guy. Yeah, very, very quiet, humble. Liked to keep himself to himself. Martial, and, he was a martial artist. Yeah, yeah, he was a kickboxer and martial artist originally. Then went into professional boxing himself. Only had a few fights and then went into full time coaching. But um, but the, the the knowledge he had on boxing, he was um, vastly underrated for many years. Mm. And um, and I think it's a shame that he's only just getting. Probably the credit he deserved when he was alive. Since he passed away,
0: is it true that he would come up with these game plans for a fight?
1: Unbelievable game plan. Like, Strati- like, give,
0: give us like a like. His strategies example.
1: was unbelievable. So, I always talk about the Macklin one because, because, I'd I'd never really boxed in terms of using you know tactical knowledge before that. It seemed a little bit crazy to do it in at that point one of the toughest and biggest fights I was going to be involved in um I knew it was going to be tough because I knew Matt I'd seen him in the gym training with Billy Graham I knew the type of fighter he was I knew the type of fighter I was and I remember standing in the in the middle of the ring early early part of training camp and uh I said I would I was going to go about this fight then because Matt was a strong big strong good pressure fighter and uh he said to me, how do you think we go about it? So I said, ah, probably smart to sort of keep it long and box him a little bit. And he went, well, if you run away from him, he's going to run over you. So I went, okay. So <laughs> so we, have, we stand and have a fight with him. He went, well, if you stand and have a fight with him, you'll probably last about three rounds. So I was like, okay, so why have we took this fucking fight then? <laughs> 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 so uh, he said, you need to be really smart in this fight. He said, you're going to sit right in front of him and you're going to make him miss. And as soon as you make him miss, you're going to make him pay. And I said, oh, I said, well, that's going to be a fucking horrendous fight. I said, because we're literally going to need a big engine. We need a big set of balls. And um, and it's going to be sort of to and fro all the way through. And he said, well, that's the way you've got to beat him. with The tools you've got, that's the way you've got to beat him. And he he got me to watch videos of James Toner, and he said he said you got to get used to holding your feet, moving your head, and making someone miss up close, up right close. in that pocket. And he said, and you need to be around as soon as soon as your backs against the ropes, you need to be around him. So I'd never really boxed in that style before ever, and it took it pro- probably took about five or six weeks in of sort of going through it in the gym, and and the boxing writer actually Terry Dooley came. He never, he never really allowed anyone, um, media, interviews, to come in the gym. And he was a good mate of mine, Terry. And he'd asked me if he could come, so Oliver had said, yeah, no problem. And he came and watched, and I remember we were sort of just drilling this, slip the right hand, roll under the left hook, step out, drop in low, and get your body close. Then step out, and we were just repeating it over and over again. And after the fight, Terry said, i got to be honest with you Five weeks ago, I stood in your gym for an hour of you doing the same thing over and over again, thinking, "What the fuck are they doing? Right. This is crazy." And he said, "As I was sat ringside watching in the, the middle rounds when it started to get tough, and you just you didn't have to think about it; you just did it. Yeah. He was just it was just like second It was just nature. like a reaction, second nature." And he said, "It just the, the penny dropped, and I could." envision what he was doing in the ring mm. over and over again. I could see it playing out in front of me. So um so yeah, he was a he was a tactical genius and God I always get emotional when I talk about him because of the impact he had on my life, but I miss him. I miss him every day.
0: How is it being with the son, does that kinda of soften the pain a bit, knowing that it, the coaching tree continues, and
1: it's bittersweet it's because bittersweet, yeah. because I want to train him to do Oliver proud, but I don't want to train him because I want Oliver to be here to train him like he should yeah, be, of, of course. So it's so it's bittersweet, but God, I'll do everything I can to make that boy a, a champion. To I want to I want to have the same impact or more that to, to f- for Larone that what Oliver had on me.
0: How old were you when you first got with Oliver?
1: Um, I was. I turn, I initially turned pro with Ray Farrell. After five fights, went with Steve Foster. Okay. Oliver started to help out Steve Foster. Okay. And then I lost my thirteenth fight to Scott Dixon, and uh, and Steve Foster decided that I didn't want to be involved with training and stuff like that. And I didn't really know what to do at that point in time. Um, I was di- disillusioned with the sport. I, I didn't feel like I was going to be able to achieve maybe what I wanted to. Um, and I just li- literally drove to Oliver's gym. I, I'd been offered a fight in five weeks' time and I just needed the money, really. And uh, I pulled in Oliver's gym and I said, i oh, do me a favour. Can you do me corner in five weeks' time? Uh, and he said, yeah, what do you mean? He said, oh, I said, I just really don't know what to do. I've got this fight. They've offered me a fight. I need some money. And he said, why don't you let me train you? Know, I'll train you full time. And I was like, yeah, do you think? And he was like, honestly, he said, and these were his exact words. He said, Jay, you give me a chance to train you. I promise you, I'll get you at least a European title that I know you can be that good. Anything above that is going to be down to you and how much you want it. He said, but I promise you, I'll get you at least a European title. I never had the confidence in myself what he had in me at that time. And after about two months of just being with him one to one every day, my confidence went from zero to 10 because he made me understand how good I was or how much potential I had. Well, I never saw him myself.
0: Unbelievable.
1: Yeah. He, hey,
0: he, he also trained Amir Khan for yeah. Amir Khan's uh, early in his we, career.
1: We, 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 once we started to have success, I mean, I, I had three fights with all. Then the fourth fight, I, I took a British title fight on five days' notice and I won against Michael Jones. And from that point, people started. Oliver started to get a bit of respect from people. He, nobody knew him before that point because sure. he'd not really trained any professionals. And um, and yeah, we sort of, which I love. I love that it's like even though Oliver created me, you guys as a team, too. yeah, you guys helped as each a other. Team right, created Oliver's gym sure. and made it the sort of gym. Give it the name what it was. And then Steve Foster Junior turned pro. Amir Khan came. Martin Murray. You know, we had so many fighters come come through the doors, and and it sort of grew from there.
0: Unbelievable. So let's talk about a little bit of early life. You, 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 you were a troubled youth. You let's say yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you, you got in some trouble. What about 14, 15 years old? You 14,
1: got, 15 years old, and
0: what, know, what happened? What happened? What what was well, what was growing up like for Morsey?
1: Gro- gro- growing up in our area is is what you'd probably call a typical northern council estate. Okay. Um, Anybody who lives in that scenario, in that situation, I don't think ever sees it as a bad place. It's only when you sort of start telling stories about people who are probably not from them type of areas and they, they sort of raise their eyebrows <laughs> and go, wow. But to, to me, it was just growing up normal. Yeah. And um, and yeah, we, we got in trouble. I, I had a great upbringing in terms of, my mum and dad was solid. I had a great family foundation. They taught me good morals, good, you know, respects. What did they do? What did your folks do? Good ethics. My mum worked... With Marks and Spencers, and my dad was a, a delivered beer. Okay, so uh, so he eventually went into you, roofing. You did that too. I right? did that as well. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah. So, so well, when I got in trouble, I got caught, uh, you know, stealing cars. Um, and me mum and my dad was like, "You ain't going out anymore with your friends. You're gonna go work with your dad." Yeah. So they sent me to work. So okay. anytime I was out of school, they sent me to work. And um, the best thing whatever happened to me. In fact, the, it was the the best thing whatever happened to me was getting caught getting in trouble because my mum and dad never brought me up that way and it was sort of peer pressure outside of right. the home and stuff. Your friends growing up and um what what made me not go back to it was how upset my mum was.
0: Yeah, you didn't want to disappoint. No, your she mom. was like,
1: I can't I can't tell you how disappointed I'm in you. And I wish instead she'd have beat me up because it wouldn't have hurt me as much as that did. Yeah and I never did it again after that because because of the way it made me feel. Also the threat of you won't be going anywhere near a boxing gym if you ever do that again. Sure. Um, she told me coach, Dave Langorn and he told me in, under no uncertain terms that if I ever do anything like that again, I won't
0: be coming through the door. And you, that was it. You liked all sports, but boxing, you're, like your dad, your dad wasn't a fighter, but he loved it, right? He yeah, love, boxing. Yeah, loved boxing,
1: loved watching it. Never, never boxed himself. But
0: you just took to it.
1: The memories of me sat in the chair with my dad watching Nigel Ben as a kid is what stands out to me, and that's what got me hooked with it, with the sport. Mike Tyson as well. You used to love Mike Tyson.
0: Yeah, sure. There you go. Some great fighters. Ben, Tyson, and uh, Gaddy. Yeah, Those yeah. are your favorite fighters. Three good fighters. Did you, did you have brothers and sisters?
1: I got one younger sister, yeah, younger than me.
0: Okay. So then <laughs> the boxing, you go on with the boxing, and um, – you went on a, quite a run, at, early in your career.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, after the the initial loss to Scott Dixon, the best thing ever happened to me in boxing,
0: right? Because, well, did Scott, Scott Scott had a lot of fights? Yeah, he, like was, you, an, he, he was an ex Commonwealth champion. Yeah, I mean, um, you, you were kind of a novice at that point. I mean, you you won some fights, but they were they were. I'd, I'd never really boxed anyone as a pro, and he had um, he had a, a real record. Re, really, the, the lessons
1: what I took from my own career coming through has really stood me in good stead as a coach to help out in sort of guiding them coming through. So, Akib, for instance, who's boxing tomorrow. We've matched him really well. Not tough, not over-tough, but really well because he's got so much potential. And I'd said to Steve Woody's manager, we need to match him well coming through because if he gets the 10, 12 um, typical journeyman like I got, um, you end up with that false sense of security. You and don't by take the time any he lessons, steps up, and then all of a sudden you step up and you're in too deep. It's a different level. So we've yeah. tried to tick every box for him coming through. You know, a pressure fighter, um, someone with a good chin, a southpaw, a boxer mover. Try, try and get him every type of experience so that when he does eventually step up, he's not found wanting. And um, and yeah, so far so good of him. But me, I think after that, Scott Dixon, the, the, the lessons what I took from that, you know, I was, I was. My pride was dented more than anything. Sure. Um, you know, the bruises, when the bruises fade and stuff like that and you look okay, no one knows what's going on in your mind. Right. And I was beating myself up. The main reason I was beating myself up was because I was tired. You know, I'd not made the weight that great. I punched myself out really badly in the fight and I was absolutely gassed and I got, I got stopped because I was basically ran out of gas and, um, what, what really, really drove me insane afterwards when I was laying lay in bed at night just on me with, with your own thoughts, I was thinking, you could have dug deeper. You could All have right. really dug deeper than you did do. You sort of caved into easily. Mm. Dave was my own. I've only, I've only been able to speak about this and acknowledge it it's a long time after I retired because I don't think your ego allows you to, Speak about things like that. I don't care now. I think it's a good lesson for fighters coming through as well. You've always got more in you than you believe you have, and
0: well, you've shown it. I mean, again, if you watch these fights, fans out there, yeah. like Jamie's got it. You you had it in you, and exactly. you sh- and you showed I, it.
1: David, I never had these conversations with any, anybody except myself in my own mind, and I was going, you could have, you could have dug deeper. Yeah. I know you could, and I said, mm. and I sort of made a promise to myself. I said. You're, I'll never lose a fight again now, unless I'm out cold. Out cold, right? And um, and you know, I definitely won fights what I wouldn't have won without that experience of losing that fight to Scott Dixon. So it was the best lesson I took from boxing, and and still now the lessons what I, what I learned along the way, not just about that, but the ones afterwards, um, I think have stood me in, in good stead f- from a coaching point of view because. I can sort of spot mistakes what are going to happen further down the line for fighters if they don't sort of address things early on. Like defense, defense got me through the Macklin fight. Defense got me through the the third Michael Jones fight in that third round when I got put down twice. And I'd never really thought about defense and how important it was until I went to Oliver and he said, why did you lose the Scott Dixon fight? And I said, I punched myself out. And he said, yeah, you did a little bit. He said, but you couldn't defend yourself. Mm -hmm. So he said, show me how you defend yourself. And I just put my hands up. And he said, that's not defending yourself. That's putting your hands up. He said, defending yourself. is this." He went, throw punches at me. And I started throwing punches at you. And he was slipping, sliding, moving his head, stepping out of range, dropping close in. And he went, that's defending yourself. Massively different. You need to learn to defend yourself.
0: Unbelievable. Um, you know, at the time when you had come up, I mean, you started, didn't you turn over on like a, on a Ricky Hatton card? Yeah, yeah. I, was I mean, under, under boxing country, was yeah. buzzing back then. The I Manchester know it is. Scene. Salford and Manchester are different, but it is Greater Manchester. <laughs> yeah, but, see, but I mean, under
1: them circumstances, right? Boxing we're, we're adopted Mancunius. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, there you go.
0: But, but I mean, boxing was buzzing at that time. So Massive you must have been really on a high.
1: Yeah, he was on the back of Moss Side, the champs camp in Moss Side, had real big success. They had five British champions at the same time from there, and um, so so from that started out the amateur boxing scene was really buzzing in Manchester. Michael Brody, Steve Foster, Enzo Bingham, Carl Thompson, Morris Cole—those sort of fighters. So then, we was looking at them. And it makes it more realistic. I've always said this: that when you're watching fighters from America, stuff like that, and you know you're idolised the world champions, you dream about doing it, but it's not really realistic because you can't relate to them type of fighters because it's not your background. When you then see someone like. Steve Foster, who's from Salford, or Ensley Bingham winning the British title. Michael Brody was a he was a five, six years older than me, but he was coming through as a British champ British Commonwealth European champion at the time. Seeing people like that achieve it makes it more realistic. Then Ricky Atten, who was a good friend of mine, he was two years turned pro two years before me. When you see the success he's then having, Correct. You start going. This is real. This is a real goal for me. I can do sure. this because
0: you can relate. Why can't
1: I do it if he can do it? You can relate. So it's more relatable then. So so it sort of created a wave of fighters coming through in Manchester. Ricky has done absolutely phenomenal for Manchester boxing, yeah. the northwest. In fact, Britain. He's he's motivated a whole generation of fighters in Britain to come through, and um, and probably the vast majority of them fighters are all good body punchers, and that's down to, to what Ricky Hatton sort of
0: taught us all to do. I mean, he is a beloved, beloved figure here in the UK. Yeah, His right son Campbell's so. fighting on the card.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly, right. And, and uh, so, and, uh,
0: Matthew's training him, Matthew Hatton.
1: Yeah, it's a family affair, yeah.
0: It's a family affair. Great guys, always great seeing him. Um, yeah, I mean, so you won the British. That was probably... Do you think that was your your best accolade that you would, for you, you were just, it was the most, the highest.
1: When, when I won the British title the first time, I came in at a five days notice. So so that, so it was like a, it was a massive shock. I was 20 to one underdog. And, right. Um, and, you know, it changed my life forever. Right. I went from being this, you know, scruffy little Salford council estate kid to, to being someone, you being know, British achieving champ. something in my life. Right. And um it set me on a path where, I've never looked back since then. I had a few little bumps in the road, got disqualified. You know, won the title back, um, and then
0: that was I, the second fight with Jones.
1: The second fight with Jones. Then, then I, um, no, sorry, I got disqualified in the second fight. Right. And won the title back in the third fight in the right. in the fight of the year. And then sort of treaded water a little bit. You know, I was waiting for your Euro- European title shot. It never really came around, and um, I didn't. I didn't get the shot until two thousand and nine. And the only reason I fought Matthew Macklin was because of that, because I was sort of waiting around for the next big fight. Sure. It's actually quite funny because Brian Peters was trying to sort of pressure us into giving the title up. Okay. And again, my ego wouldn't allow that to happen. And I felt like they was trying to pressure me into doing it. And he'd sort of said something along the lines of, well, listen, if he doesn't give it up, he's going to have to fight Matthew to Steve Wood. So I said, why does he think I'm scared of fighting Matt Macklin? I'll fight him, no problem. And he was like, no, no, he didn't mean it like that. And I said, like, nah, that's it. I'm fighting him. <laughs> and he was going, Jay, listen, this ain't the right move from a business point of view. He said, I don't care. You wanted to fight him. I'm fighting him. him, that's it now. My ego got the better of me. You know, and I'm glad I did. Because that's my... Too. That's that the the, the go-to fight. I go to this show tomorrow, at least two or three people will come up to me and say my God, that fight with you and Macklin.
0: Yeah, it was unbelievable. Know,
1: it's 16, 17 years ago, whatever it is. Where did
0: you, where did, I mean, I love that you talked about the story about the, the, the Dixon fight and how you said, I'm never going to have this again. Because yeah, yeah. when you watched that fight in the later rounds, it was like you, you just found it somewhere. Cause I mean, yeah. you were exhausted also. Absolutely. You both were exhausted. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you guys were both spent. There were so many punches thrown, yeah. but you found a way.
1: You yeah, know? and I, I think if you watched the fight, especially those middle to later rounds, Oliver was right. Yeah. I lost the Scott Dixon fight because I couldn't defend myself.
0: You know, what's interesting. You talk about, I'm sorry to cut you off, but there's a fight this weekend also. Michael McKinson. Yeah. He's fighting uh, Virgil Ortiz. Great fight. It's a good fight. Great fight. It's a better fight than a lot of people think. Most yeah. people that just look at it, uh, they think, oh, you know, Virgil Ortiz. But yeah, yeah. let's not be so quick. You know, we'll see what happens. Cause it's a very interesting fight. But McKinson, he kind of does what you're talking about. He He's very defense. He's very sl- trick, yeah, very tricky, yeah, very yeah. slick, very elusive. But he holds the center of the ring. Yeah, and he has very few knockouts. But I think he's. Got a stronger punch than people think. I, th- I think he's got a punch good enough to keep you honest.
1: Exactly. That. Might not, it might he,
0: not knock you out, but it he, keeps you honest. If you're
1: going to make people miss, you've got to make him pay. You might not, you know, you might not be able to knock them out, but you've got to be able to stop them in the tracks. That's right. Otherwise, they'll just walk through you. And
0: I think he's got that.
1: Definitely, he must
0: have that. He, I think that. he's got that, and yeah. it's because a lot of times some guys just get on their bike, but that's not what he does. No, he does it right he's in the, the middle James of the ring. Sony it's really yeah, Jameson is really uh, pocket. It's quite a skill. Yeah, and, and it's an interesting fight, and he he believes in himself very much.
1: Yeah, so and so, so the only reason I won the Matthew Macklin fight was because of the lessons I took from the Scott Dixon fight. Right. And Oliver said you couldn't defend yourself, right? So, if you watch the Macklin fight from the mid to late rounds, what wins me the fight is my defense, not necessarily what I'm doing, sure, but what I'm stopping him from doing, right? And 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 I mean, God, I hope so the fighters
0: much. out there are listening to this because it's, it's this is great stuff,
1: yeah. I think it's, it's, I, it's, I I'm, I'm very focal on defense from yep. a coaching point of view now as well because i realize how important it is um and well t- for two reasons one because health and safety is paramount and the less you get hit the better it is for us in the long run
0: 100
1: um, but but in terms of winning a fight you know if you can make a fight and miss you especially in, in those little pockets in in a tough fight where you know you only it takes you know we're elite athletes 10-15 seconds and you, you're recovering from being sort of spent and uh, if you can get through those little 10, 15-second pockets in the later rounds, um, defensively coming through without getting hit, then then you're always going to be in a better position than you are if, you, if you're if you getting hit.
0: So, I could not agree with you more. Yeah. And it takes more energy to throw a punch and miss than it does to throw a punch and hit.
1: So people are obsessed with letting the hands go to, to take the gas out of their opponent's tank. But if you're making a miss, you're doing as equally good a job taking the gas out.
0: Yeah, and... and you know i've seen guys steal guys hearts not because they're getting they're punching the guy but because the, the guy's so frustrated
1: absolutely he
0: can't he can't hit the guy and then he's he's reaching you know when you reach they teach <laughs> so then you know when he reaches then you know, course, he's getting out of, of position course. he's doing you're getting guys out of their game plan yeah it's uh it, it's, it's it's great stuff what you're saying and i absolutely agree so talking about damage and getting hit Tell me about your retirement. There was some scans that came up.
1: Yeah, so I think it was three. Steve Wood always thinks it's two. I, th- I think it was three, but I definitely had one scan. There was a change. I had a letter from the boxing board. He basically said, there's nothing wrong with your scan, but we've just got to inform you that it's not the same as, as it was last year. Gotcha. There's no problems with it, but there's, it's just changed from last year. And then the same thing happened again the year after. Um, I think it was three years, but Steve thinks it was two. Um, and I sort of went, well, you know, I've been involved in fight the year three times. Yeah. Okay, they're saying there's no problem, but it doesn't change for nothing. Yeah. Let's have a look. So I went to see a separate specialist. That's, got a yeah, some, you, Somebody who's not not nothing to do with a boxing board of control. Got a second opinion, and he basically said that he yeah. said, you know, listen, let's be honest, you get punched in the head for a living. Yeah. Um, they're right, there's nothing dangerous going on with your scam, but um I don't think it changes for nothing. So um my advice to you is so he said what he did say is this this part of your brain can change naturally. So they're right to say that it could be a natural change. Right. It's also the part of your brain which controls your speech, coordination, memory, and you know, let's have it right the effects of boxing are known to have had impacts on that. So it's probably more likely it's caused from boxing. Sure. So I said, so what do you suggest I do? He said, I think you should get out of boxing as soon as you can. Now, this was on the Monday before my last fight on the Friday, Mm. on the Saturday, sorry. And I was at that point in time, I'd been really tough making weight for a few years. I'd had four operations on my shoulders, two on each over a three-year period. So... I was constantly recovering from surgery, going into a fight, recovering from surgery, going into a fight, and I just I, my heart wasn't in it. Yeah. And and when I got this news, then it just made me mind up. I, my son was off school and he was with me, and he said, I, "So when the doctor said, I think you should get out of boxing as soon as you can." I looked at my son and he just sort of shrugged his shoulders like that, and I thought, you know what, I'm gone. Yeah. So I had that, but I boxed on the Saturday, and um, and that was it.
0: Wow. But, I mean, these are great accolades. I mean, British, Commonwealth, European.
1: Yeah, I achieved more than I ever believed I could set out to do when I turned professional. So I overachieved in that sense. And people still talk about a couple of the fights I was involved in. Now, 16 years later, so.
0: Yeah, and you were a fighter's fighter. But even all those uh, injuries and surgeries you talk about were about eight years from the day from... Uh, another incident that most everybody knows about um maybe you could tell us a little bit about that
1: yeah so two two days ago was the 8, eight year anniversary of the incident in Marbella where i got shot a mistaken identity and um i'm um, yeah i've still still carrying the scars from that and, and and the uh the sort of the weight of it really you know i've got a daily reminder i've got nerve damage in my left leg so which will never be sort of back to where it was I'll always have that damage so it's a it's a sort of daily reminder of uh, what happened
0: do you ever have nightmares or think about kind of what happened
1: no do you know I don't and and <laughs> it's, it's funny actually because the reason I don't is I was drunk when it happened <laughs> so my saving grace was, <laughs> was you yeah.
0: no <laughs> yeah
1: no. <laughs> so we, so it's in the middle of the night I've been out for one of the lads birthdays and so, so even though I remember it taking place, it's really blurry. So that's been my saving grace because you know, I've no doubt because of the trauma, what it caused and stuff, I'd have I'd have some form of PTSD. But luckily, even though I remember it vaguely, it's yeah. really blurry. So, because uh, it, you can imagine it was just a horrendous situation to go through.
0: Speaking of traumatic situations, obviously on a different scale, but we ran into each other in Istanbul, Turkey, (laughs) and you were coming from Dubai. I was coming from Uzbekistan and we were in Turkey. This was, this was during COVID and you were with Nigel, Nigel Travis and Carrie Kays. Yeah. And you guys had a traumatic experience with that. What would tell tell us about that? So
1: we was coming back from Carl Frampton fight with Jamal (laughs) Herring. Herring, Right. And um, so we, before we'd left, so we, we, we'd left the UK four weeks before this. With paperwork from the British Boxing Board of Control saying that we're part of elite sports and we're exempt from hotel quarantine. So all you've got to do is when you get back to Manchester, you hand your paperwork and you go through. The day before the uh, fight, the guys had come to us and says, your flight's been changed. You're not going the the day after the fight. You're going the day after that. And I said, why? And They said... Um, your flight's been changed. You're not flying into Manchester now. You're flying into London. Ugh. I said, you're joking. So I said, why is that? They went, I don't know. It's just been changed. So that was all we knew.
0: And, but the, and so the, the issue was because in, in those days, you had to have like a COVID test 24 hours before the flight, right? Yeah, yeah. So now your COVID test wasn't valid. You guys ended up getting stuck in Turkey.
1: Listen to this. So we, we get to the airport. At, we, we'd been tested and it was all negative but the hotel had given us the wrong tests. Oh. So we had, <laughs> we had we had we had a 8 hour delay from getting on the next flight which then affected our transfer flight in Turkey. So they had to change that. They had to go originally Turkey to Spain, Spain to London. We get to Turkey, we go to check in to go to Spain and they went you can't get on this flight. You haven't got a visa. I said, "Why do we need a visa to go to Spain? Because what's going on at the moment? You need a visa, so that flight gets cancelled. So we're stuck in Turkey."
0: <laughs> this is when I ran into you. You guys were stressed, oh, and man. Kerry Case, he poor guy. I mean, hey, you guys finally got back. Seventy years old, beautiful he, human being. What he was cut man for for Ricky Hatton. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a legend, he's, right? He's absolute boxing legend,
1: beautiful human being. Yeah, we're stuck in we're stuck in Turkey. In a, okay, and. I don't know at this point. You're not you're not allowed to fly into Manchester from a red list country because when we left, that wasn't the case. Right. They've they, I've gone online and I've booked those flights to Manchester. So then the next day we flew into Manchester and they've gone. You can't fly into Manchester. You've come from Dubai and I went. I know we have but blah, and I explained. It was like story on the
0: there was like a red. It was like a red, a red zone. Red, red list country. Red yeah. list country. Right. So.
1: So with four hours in Manchester Airport arguing the toss, and eventually they went, "You've got to go to hotel quarantine." Sent us to hotel quarantine for ten days.
0: It, Kerry was telling me like they would put paper bags outside your door with just like, the, and, the, and they charged you quite a bit of money, yeah, right?
1: The arguments I had with them because this, <laughs> the hotel wasn't was only doing two set meals. They're saying to me, "You can ring uh, Uber Eats or whatever," and I'm going, "Listen." This doesn't make sense.
0: Because they can't come in, you can't come out, right? Yeah,
1: we can't go outside. Right. Yet You're going to let a delivery driver, who I don't know where's been, who's been all over my food, who right. could have been in contact with anybody. Right. And if I if I test positive, I've got to stay in here for another 10 days.
0: These were crazy oh, times. Crazy These were times. crazy times. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make so sense. you guys just, you and Nigel just opened a, a new boxing gym, yeah? So not Nigel. So, oh, so, I mean, it's so, yours, right? Yeah, it's but, mine. But so, you're so, with,
1: so, Nigel trains with you? Nigel trains with me with the pros. Okay. Nigel's got his own amateur boxing club, Moss Side Fire Station. Right. And to be honest with you, Nigel was the one who inspired me to do this because the impact I've seen, what Nigel's had in Moss Side um, and the, the amount of lives, what he's changed in that area. Yeah, big shout out of, to Nigel Travis, by yeah, the way. Yeah, exactly. He inspired me to do this in, in my area because where my gym is in Walkden is where I've grew up all my life. I've seen the the sort of the way it's gone over the last 20 years, it's gone from sort of bad to worse. Yeah, And the kids in the area were crying out for a boxing gym and we've never had one there. So it took me a good few years to get off the ground and, you know, there's loads of red tape put up in front of us to to get it done. But eventually with the help of um, Maverick Stars, with Charlotte, and who came on board and helped me sort of do the mileage and the legwork to get it done, we've got there and uh, honestly, without a question, it's the best thing I've ever done in boxing.
0: Well, okay, Mark Leach, Stephen Wild, Chantel Cameron, Jack Catterall, Akeep Vias. I mean, you got a pretty good stable going on right now.
1: Yeah, we're, we're real busy. We're blessed, and um, you know, I I love doing what I do. Do you know what it is, David? I I I know how tough this sport is. It's a it's a beautiful brutal you know, sometimes rewarding, sometimes you just think, what is the point? Why am I doing this? But it's the best sport in the world and I know how difficult it is for fighters to go through what they go through. Yeah. I've been there and done it, you know, loads of times myself and it makes it much easier when you've got people, you know, who have got your back who, who can fight your corner, who can, uh, you know, I've got that much experience in the sport for me to be able to advise them and try and guide them down a path where they don't make the same mistakes as what I made. Yeah. Or or even if they do, they don't make them as badly. So they still set the lesson on board, but they sure. go down the, the right path. Um so it's such a rewarding job and and you know, I just luckily enough I get paid for it as well, which is like a bonus. I just like helping people. That's what I like doing, helping
0: people. What tell me what it was like up in uh Scotland. <laughs>
1: it was hostile.
0: For the Catterall Taylor fight after the decision. How you felt? After the decision. I mean, when you work that hard for something, I'm not not saying I don't have any position on who won, who didn't win. That's not that's not what I do. Well, I don't. I don't think the fans out there have seen it, and they can make their own call. Everyone make their own mind up. You know, and and I I I like both guys. I'm fans of both guys. I don't
1: don't have to. I don't have to fight our corner and and, and, and fight my case of do we think we won? I think right. But how did it feel?
0: How did it feel?
1: absolutely devastating. You were good. And and the reason it was so devastating was for the reason what I've just said to you. Yeah. You know, I don't do this for money even though I get paid for it. I'm lucky enough to do something what I love. Yeah. I'm lucky. By nature, I just like helping people. So then I feel like I'm lucky enough to have been through the career what I've had to get the experience on board to then be able to help other people, and then at the end of that, I get paid for it. So, so, so it's so I'm lucky in that sense. But to see what Jack Carroll went through for three years in terms of the waiting for a world title shot, stepping aside, you know, towing the line with governing bodies, um, mandatories. Doing the right thing with Ramirez and Taylor initially to allow the undisputed fight to happen. Right,
0: which was just wonderful. And big shout out to Taylor for he went through the fire fighting Pro Gray. Amazing, amazing achievements. You know, really, really great fights. I I
1: have no bad words to say about Josh Taylor. And I said this before Jack boxed him. I was a Josh Taylor fan. Sure. We all were watching him fight. Exactly. uh, This isn't Josh Taylor's fault. What happened, the decision, is not his fault whatsoever. But my, talking about how disappointed I was, I was disappointed because I've seen what that kid gone through. Yeah, I've seen him close sure. to tears in the gym, right. two years before he even got a world title shot saying, I feel I might have to get a job
0: because- Kind of similar after the Dixon fight, when you went, you, you were feeling yeah, kind exactly. of dejected and you're so, on a high, then you go down. It so, be so like So I'm that. sat with him, David, in the gym,
1: with my arm around him, fucking close to tears myself, yeah. frustrated, Know going, Jack. Listen, I know it seems like nothing's happening, but I promise you, one day when it all happens and it all pans out, and you stood there with a world title, we'll be able to stand there and go, "See, it was all worthwhile. was worth it." And that moment when the bell
0: went and he celebrated and did I, you did you think I mean did you think that he was going to Jack was going to his hand raise? Well,
1: and I, I I knew he'd won the fight, and the reason I knew he won the fight because by the time we get to the eighth round, he's won at least six rounds and he's knocked him down. So I'm going, he needs a knockout. No matter what happens now, as long as Jack stays on his feet, he needs a knockout. I went over to him and I grabbed him by the head and I said, see, what did I tell you? I told you it had all come good. (laughs) Ouch. And then, as we was waiting for the decision, I remember having a little thought in my head thinking, this is taking a bit long now. Mm -hmm. And you always get worried when it's taking a bit long. And then when the second judge's card came out, in fact, no, the first one, when they first read it out and they said Jack Catterall, I thought, this is a split decision. And then the second one came out and it was Taylor. I thought, we're going to get a job there. And
0: how do you, after this, how do you bring your fighter? Because there's news today, which I don't know if you want to tell it or not about Jack Catterall.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been announced that he's he's he signed a deal with uh, with Sky, right? Which means that it opens the door for the
0: it for the opens Taylor the door rematch. for the Taylor fight, which so, I know Josh wants to fight also. Exactly, so because it's not good for him either. Like you said, no, it's not and, his fault. And
1: ov- ov- obviously, the situation what what Jack was in, it was frustrating for him. Yeah. Um, as soon as he heard the words that Josh wanted the the rematch, um, because of the pressure he's been under since what what happened, then that made it even more. Jack even more determined to make sure that he, that he could get a fight. So, um,
0: so how does this fight play out? The rematch.
1: Do you know? And you know, I've seen a lot of interviews over the, over the last five months or whatever. Say, you know, Josh he didn't perform in the in the first fight, and he was tight at the weight. Um,
0: Do you think he overlooked Jack?
1: I think everybody does. And and Jack Cattle is one of the most intelligent fighters I've ever come across. Not just work with, ever ever come across. And I understand why people underestimate him because before he came and trained with us and I got to know him more and understand what goes on in his mind, it sparred Tommy Coyle, it sparred a few of my fighters in the gym. And I always used to watch the spar taking place thinking, God, why are people struggling with him? So, you know, he sort of seems to hypnotize people and he gets some fight in his fight. And I didn't understand how until I worked with him closely. And, and sort of conversations and worked out how he ticks and um, he's a phenomenal fighter and so many fighters good top level fighters come to my gym and spar him and every one of them every single one of them get out of the ring and say Phew, he's so hard to it he's so hard to deal with and when when you look at him on the surface so if you're watching him fight on TV the vast majority of the time his feet are planted doesn't move anywhere so, so, and his, his hands are low. You know, he's got a low front hand. And people are going, why is he so hard to hit? But you try and get in there and try and hit him. And it's a different kettle of fish. So I understand Josh going, you know, I had a, I had an off night. Maybe he did have an off night. But I told anybody who'd listened before that fight, they kept saying to me, why do you think Jack Carroll can win this fight? And I said, listen, I'm not even going to answer that question. Just watch on Saturday. I'll just watch. Just watch and you'll see. And he proved it.
0: How, how, but how was it? After the decision and after the dust settled, trying to get Jack to, 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 to kind of get back up. I mean, was he really? He must have been very dejected.
1: Yeah, I mean, for the first three days, every day I Facetimed him. I'm trying to have a conversation with him. He was just so, so down because that moment, what he'd lived, he'd worked towards all his life, has been snatched away from him. Yeah. And it was funny on the fourth day, his his demeanor had changed. His voice was different. And I was like, "Oh, you're yeah, all right. You seem better Jay, today. You swung back." And he said, "Yeah. Do you know what, Jay? He went, fuck it. I ain't letting them get 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 to me now.'" He said, "I'm. He i 'I'm not. I'm just not letting them get, get me down.'" He said, "I'm gonna get get back in the gym now. I'm gonna get back training." On the fourth day, on the Thursday, he's back in the gym training. Um, well, I'll tell you I've this: never, I've never met a more dedicated, determined fighter either.
0: I mean, look, it, that wasn't just for a strap; that was for all the marbles. No. I mean that's life changing stuff. Yeah. And not wait.
1: rematch f- happens. He's not going to now because because Josh he's has sort of one he, he's, he's had losing to give, one of the titles. He's had, he's, but
0: either way, it's it's still great and it, it's a great fight. So as uh, a fight fan, it's a great fight. I can't I wait. I think to watch outside
1: it. of AJ Fiore in terms of two British fighters fighting each other, I don't think there's a bigger fight out there.
0: Yeah, it's a very big fight. Well, I don't know. We're talking about Ben Ubank. Well, that, that is that, a big fight. That's that a big, big fight, fight man, yeah. if that fight gets See, that made. that takes me back to my childhood. They, when I they, sport, there you go.
1: Ian uh, went watching Nigel, Ben.
0: Yeah, that's a great fight. If they can come to the weight and... I hope so. I hope so, too. I think
1: it, like, that those are the types of fights what get um, not even... Casual boxing fans, but just non boxing fans. It transcends it. Exactly, certain exactly fights transcend.
0: That. Yeah. That's a, that, that fight will transcend. That's a big fight if it can be made. So we're going to wrap up soon, but just really quick, the book, how did it come about? And how did you, what, did you always want to write a book? Did you, did someone no, say, you know, Jamie, pa- you should do this? Did you write it yourself? Did you have a ghostwriter? Like, how did that happen?
1: Paul Zannon, who, who ghost wrote the book for me, he'd, he'd approached me asking me for, I think it was Michael Gomez's number. Mm. to see if he would be interested in having a book written about him. And then just in conversation, um, he said, you know, you've got a really interesting story. Have you ever thought about having a book written? I said, you know what? I said, I've not really. I said, but yeah, I mean, if you are if you think it'd be a, a seller and it'd be interesting, then, then yeah. And uh, I really enjoyed doing it. Do you know what as well? The Marbella stuff, um, going through that with Paul, was like a little bit of therapy like cathartic because because you know i think maybe maybe it comes from a boxing background or point of view it's like a defense mechanism that fear or if you're scared of doing something you, you you train yourself to block it off you don't think about it and i'd not really allowed myself to think about it that much because i didn't want to because why sure. would, why would you want to remember something like that
0: yeah and um, your father you got two kids you of mean,
1: course of course and that was i mean one of the things was i remember sort of crying to the to the paramedic saying please i've got two young kids yeah um but sort of did you think you were going to die in that moment i did i did and mm. and the, and the, that's that's why it's so difficult Yeah. i never really addressed it until writing the book mm. i didn't allow myself to think about it because what he did was basically explain. he said what we're going to do is over the first couple of months we're gonna get the skeleton ready. Sure. And then I'll come back and we'll we'll go back to flesh it and out. then we'll probably flesh it out. Yeah. And um and going into detail about it in terms of what was going through in my mind, you know, how was a feeling. So not just explaining what happened yeah,
0: but, but, but how emotionally you felt? how
1: you felt at the time. Going into detail like that was was, was fucking tough. Mm. Tough. But I think at the end of the week, when we come through the other end of it, I was sort of like, I feel like I've got a lot of it out of me. Yeah. And um, I'm I'm a very emotional person by nature, anyway. So it doesn't take a lot for me to cry, <laughs> you know. Especially since I had kids, I've become even worse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but um, but I think that really helped me sort of get that sort of horrible feeling inside me come out of me then and. I've been good. I've been good since.
0: Would you be so kind to answer a few uh, fan questions?
1: Of oh, course. No problem at all, yeah. Okay.
0: So, <laughs> that's who we have here. John Stevens asks Jamie, this might be a bit of a strange one, but do you ever get any post-traumatic boxing-related dreams? Heard it from an ex-rugby player recently, and he wondered if it creeps into other sports.
1: Do you know, I've not had for years, but I used to have a reoccurring dream that, <laughs> I was in the ninth round with Matt Macklin oh. and the bell wouldn't go. <laughs> so the bell would never stop. And it would just be con- continuously going on and going on. And a bit like-
0: Again, fans watch that fight crazy. and you yeah. understand.
1: Oh, so I, I've not had that for years. I mean, that used to happen for a, for a couple of years. I think it, it first started happening actually when I retired. So I think when boxing's on your mind a lot and you do think about fighting again, I always promised myself I'd never fight again once I retired. Um, and I thought it'd be really easy to just walk away. And it was horrendously tough. And I started having that dream all the time then. Well, so I think that maybe put me off from making a comeback. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right. Trudy Abbott asked Jamie, did you ever have the possibility to fight in America? Your style would have been made for it.
1: Yeah. So wh- when I got disqualified against Michael Jones in a second fight, I was sort of a bit disillusioned with the sport. I really shouldn't have been disqualified in that fight. I was, I was adamant, and I still to this day I don't think I should have been disqualified. I got offered to box um, in Boston. So my heritage is I'm Irish. My mum's Irish. So
0: like Matt too, right? Yeah, exactly.
1: So he was going to try and play that card and, and take me over there to Ireland. I'd I'd done a deal to do a ten rounder over there on ESPN, and um, with Art Palulu.
0: Yeah, Artie Palulu.
1: Yeah, yeah. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Yeah. He used to, I
0: used to work for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: so literally he was probably six weeks off the fight and I got a phone call from Barry Earn saying, Listen, the boxing board have just made you mandatory for the uh British title against Michael Jones. The British title, by the way, who had just been disqualified against. So that in itself proves to me that the boxing board shouldn't have disqualified me. Mm. Because why would they make someone a mandatory? To a title they've just been disqualified against. Sure. So he offered me that fight, and he said it's going to be in ten weeks' time. So I should have been boxing in America six weeks later, and I had to pull out of the fight. Mm-hmm. So I mean, listen, I have no regrets about that. I would absolutely have loved to fight in America. I think I, I do think my style would have gone down really well there. Um, and I don't have regrets in anything in my life because I, I'm really happy. You know, I've got a, I've got a lovely family. I've got beautiful. You know beautiful uh, friends and family around me. Um, I'm content. And I I always think if you look back and regret anything, change
0: one thing, it could all be different. It sends you down a different path. And that means
1: I would have gone down a different path, which means I probably wouldn't have been where I am today in this sort of mindset. So I wouldn't change anything.
0: Really quick. If I we're running out of time and I know Scott, our producers over here, giving me the look (laughs) just really quick because I love the story about you and Matt coming together after being such great rivals. Yeah, yeah. How did, how did you become his trainer?
1: So I had a picture of me and Matt fighting, and I saw that he was back in Manchester training with Joe Gallagher. So I sent him a message saying, Hi, Matt, how, how's it going? Uh, I've got this picture here. I'm going to get it signed up and give it for charity. Um, fancy catching up for a coffee. And Tommy Coyle had just boxed Derry Matthews. So I, I was only... Literally helping Tommy out as a favour. I had no ambitions or plans to be a coach. And um, so he said, yeah, no worries. I'll meet up with you tomorrow. We'll have a coffee. So he meets me in Manchester, sits down, has a conversation with him. And he was just asking me a lot of questions about Tommy Coyle and stuff like that. And then he was telling me about, you know, I've been living out of a suitcase for the last five, six years in America, blah, blah, blah. I'm back up in Manchester now say so it's really tough work and you know I, I had the gym i've got the gym over in my bay and i've been living over there but i've got to come back over here to to train and i, I just had, i just felt felt for him you know i thought god imagine living out of a suitcase for five six years and I, was it, like, what? Uh,
0: I don't have to imagine but go on yeah no no, exactly <laughs> so i said i know what? the feeling i was
1: like what are you up to <laughs> you now and he said oh, i'm just i'm just gonna go back to the apartment and just sit and just yeah. do nothing basically sure so I said, come on, let's go and get some food, we'll go and get some food. So my missus has got my tea on at home. So I've texted her saying, listen, I ain't coming home. I'm just I'm I'll explain to you when I see you, but I'm gonna go out for some food with Matt. So I get back and it's like five hours later or something. She's like, Where the fuck have you been? So I explains the story to her, blah, blah, blah. she my missus has got a sixth sense. She just feels stuff. And she said, What was she talking about? And I said, Oh, was she, I said he was asking me stuff about, you know, with Tommy and stuff like that. And she went, Betty bet asked you to train him. And I was like, what? And Your missus only, came up with it. My missus said this. And I said, what? And bear in mind, I trained one fighter as a favour. Right. I said, why would Matthew Macklin ask me to train him? I'm 32 or something. like that, 33. And she went, I'm telling you, I don't know why. I've just got this feeling. And the week after, gets a DM. So I changed my phone number in that week. Got a new phone. Gets a DM on Twitter saying, hey mate, been trying to ring you, um, but can't get through to you. Give us a shout. Macklin. So I rings him, Said, yeah, sorry, I've just uh, changed my number. Listen, just wondering whether you fancy training me. Wow. I was like, wow, this is weird. I said, my missus said this last week. And he said, yeah, he said, the only thing is, it'd be over in Marbella.
0: She's spoken into existence.
1: Exactly that, yeah. So I said, listen, I'll think about it, but I was doing a lot of work with Sky at the time, doing punditry stuff. I said, and I've got two young kids and I'm big hands-on, sort of love do doing school run and stuff like that. Sure. So it's a big decision. Like, And he said, listen, I, I know that. I know how close you are with your kids. Thought about that. If you'll do it, it'll be six weeks at a time and I'll fly you home every Friday and fly you back in on a Monday so you can spend the weekend with the kids.
0: Which is the craziest story because I mean, you were training Matt for about nine months and yeah, then yeah. the one weekend- The one weekend- You to decide stay, man, to stay in Marbella.
1: Some stupid bastard shoots me. <laughs> All
0: right, final, final question from the fans. Um, at Benny Bright underscore asks Jamie, I think Nigel Ben was one of your idols growing up, right? Was it, what was it about Nigel you loved?
1: Just the excitement of of his style, his explosiveness. Um, I was never as big a puncher as, as as Nigel, but you know, I think in terms of intensity, I always sort of brought that and I got that from sort of being obsessed with his style. Um, I just loved him. I, I loved his uh, the rivalry with Eubank. Mm-hmm. I yeah. loved all that sort of showmanship. In fact, the first fight I ever watched Nigel Ben in. He lost. He he got beat off Michael Watson. I I remember it vividly sat there with my dad. um, But he just made a fan of me that night. And, uh, yeah, just the excitement and um, his punching power was phenomenal.
0: Hell of a fighter, as were you, my friend. Thank you. I I really appreciate you as a friend, and I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down today. It's just been great. And... uh, yeah, Godspeed, man. Godspeed. So everyone out there, um, big fight this weekend, Saturday night, Sheffield Steel City, Dalton Smith, Sam O'Measan, British title on the line, and uh, we got Jamie Moore here. Thank you, and we're out till next week. Match from Radio with David Diamante. Thanks a lot, everybody.
1: Oh, man. I enjoyed. That it was good. That yeah, was great. <laughs>